What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the, of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the form of have obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness i'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from, these, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you, lead, you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage." Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Just to go back to the very beginning, uh, to verse 14 and 15, and ask the question, what does it mean to be under law and under Grace. Uh, we see that in verse 14. Uh, we have sin will have no dominion over us since we are not under law, but under grace. And then verse 15, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? What does under law mean? It means uh, it's opposed to being under grace. And we find if we go back to the Gospel of John, John speaks of two figures associated with law. And with grace, John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Got it? The law is associated with Moses and grace and truth with Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace is a gift. You get what you don't deserve. You deserve something bad and you get something good as a gift, unearned and undeserved. We get the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We get eternal life when we deserve judgment and condemnation. We get a new restored relationship with God when we deserve estrangement 
And so, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. So if you are, have placed your faith in Jesus, through whom grace and truth came, you receive grace, the gift of eternal life, the gift of a new and restored relationship with God. The law, without grace does not defeat sin, it actually fosters sin. It's actually a catalyst for sin, right? The law, the do's and the don'ts. If you are not under grace, if you've not received grace, then that law actually is a catalyst for sin. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Remember when I was a kid, we... Had, uh, I had friends that uh, came from another church and another school. They had a Christian school there, and it was a very, um, very, very strict, I would call it legalistic school. And we were kind of swapping notes about how they did things in their youth group. And he said they would do this thing on bus trips at night when they were coming back from youth group, um, some kind of activity, and they would turn on the lights and have a hand check. And I said, what are you talking about, hand check? They said, you know... Boys and girls sitting together on the bus, hand check. Oh, I'd never thought of that option before. It never crossed my mind. That's how the law works. You see the sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. What do you want to do? You want to touch the wet paint. And so the law, apart from grace, actually is something that is a catalyst for sin But we read here, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In in an MMA fight between grace and sin, grace wins every time. Grace will defeat sin. What is it to be under grace? Under grace does not encourage sin. It is just the opposite. Grace empowers righteousness. And we see that explicitly at the very beginning of this statement in Romans 6.14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Grace promotes righteousness, does not promote sin. So how is it that we become under grace? As I mentioned, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have received grace. And you are what Paul is saying, under grace. Grace, You're saved by grace through faith. And one of the benefits that you receive when you trust in Jesus Christ is not only that you receive eternal life as a gift, but you've also received a soul that is reformed, that is changed. We talked about that last week. We have um, a new heart. The, the big theological term is regenerated. You've been given a new heart that is soft and responsive and beats after God. In the past, you had a hard, unresponsive heart. Now, you've received a responsive heart. You are under grace, and part of that means that you have a heart change. Now, Augustine, many, many hundreds of years ago, came up with a description of the fourfold state of humanity, and it's very helpful. And the first is this, that Adam and Eve... Uh, when they were on planet Earth to begin with, when they were created, uh, were in this state. They were able to sin and able not to sin. I won't give you the Latin terms that 
Augustine used, but that's essentially how you translate it. They were able to sin and able not to sin. That is, their nature was capable of either sin or not sinning, and we know what they did. They sinned. After the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned and everybody uh, came uh, to be as human beings, everybody born into this world is born not able not to sin. Sorry for the double negative. They don't really mind it in Latin. Not able not to sin. Now you think, well, preacher, you know, I know people that don't believe in Jesus Christ and they do some good things too. We're going to refer to this when we get to Romans chapter 8, what real righteousness is. Righteousness is not simply doing the act uh, that is a good thing, but it's doing it for the proper motivation out of a heart of gratitude and to please God. So it's not able not to sin. That is being under law, by the way. Not able not to sin. The third is those who believe in Christ, who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, are able not to sin. Now, that doesn't mean to suggest that you are able to be perfect. Uh, We are not perfect. We still have the remnants of the sinful nature as believers in Christ. But the Spirit has changed us in such a way that it is possible for us to actually do an act of righteousness because we love God and we want to serve Him and glorify Him. That is being under grace. And then finally, when we get to heaven, when we're glorified, we will not be able to sin. Won't that be wonderful? That our nature will be such that we will not be able to sin. So we come to our text and we find here that that we are free not simply not to sin, but as people under grace, we are actually propelled internally. We're compelled to do righteousness. So let's take a look at that. You see, there's been a transfer of dominion. Romans 6.19 says, I'm speaking in terms of human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, when we talk about slavery, it's not generally a positive thing. But for the sake of an illustration that you can grasp, I'm going to talk about what it means to be slaves to righteousness and slaves to sin. And what this shows us is that we either have an overriding compulsion to sin or we have an overriding compulsion to do righteousness. The former is under law. The latter is if you are under grace. So you're not simply free from the compulsion to sin, but if you are under grace, you have a new compulsion for righteousness. And it's shown by your choice of master. So it is, there is an aspect in which you actively choose which master you're going to serve. Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, when we think of the subject of slavery, you don't normally think of somebody choosing to be a slave to anyone. But the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that we either choose to be a slave of one entity or another entity, a slave to righteousness, or as he says in verse 22, 
uh, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God or slaves to unrighteousness. And you can tell who it is that you serve as master by whether you obey the one or whether you obey the other. When I was um, just out of college, I uh, went over and worked. I volunteered for uh, Amsterdam 83. It was a Billy Graham conference for itinerant evangelists. And uh, the job that I had for Billy Graham in the organization it was uh, to be at the airport. And I was a young guy, uh, like some of you are. Uh, and, um, you know, I was uh, a little thinner and lighter, uh, skinny as a rail. Uh, so I could have passed as uh, your typical uh, European there in Amsterdam. I had a, a jacket on uh, that we got as uh, members of the, uh, the team. And uh, it, was a, it was a lovely jacket. It was a, a bright, light blue uh, jacket with a, uh, with a badge here that said Amsterdam 83. Um, and it looked a lot like the colors of the KLM uh, Royal Dutch Airlines. And so I was stationed there in the airport for people coming from all over the world, and I was to tell them how to get to the conference center. And people would come up to me, just regular uh, Dutch people would come up to me, and they would say something like blah, 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 in Dutch, you know, and I didn't understand. I'd politely listen. Uh, and they looked at me, and they thought I worked for KLM. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, I don't work for KLM. And they would immediately switch to English. They're amazing how bilingual they are. And uh, they would say, oh, you do not work for KLM. And I said, no, I'm terribly sorry, I don't work for KLM. Now, this illustration would work better if I had worked for KLM and then I switched over to work for Billy Graham, right? But you get the point. I was like, not my job, right? It's not my job to tell you how to get to your flight or how to get to the concourse or how to get to whatever. I don't work for KLM. I work for Billy Graham. I'm telling people how to get to over here. And so you have one or two of two masters, righteousness or sin. Who do you work for? If you're under grace, you work for new management. You work for righteousness. You work for God. And there is freedom in being under grace and a slave to righteousness as opposed to being a slave to sin. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were absolutely free in regards to righteousness, but that's not freedom. You know, freedom is often seen in doing exactly what you want to do, right? But that's not freedom. When I was in high school, I remember we had an English project to do, an English, uh, uh, we had to write something in English, and it was on uh, what you would do if the end of the world was coming. There was going to be an asteroid that was going to hit planet Earth, and how would you spend your last week? And I remember one student in my class I mean, he basically wrote about how he was going to do every possible sin he could think of because he had absolutely no consequences in this life. He was going to live however he wanted. He thought that was freedom. Abraham Piper, he's the, the son of the more famous uh, father, is, a, uh, is actually an atheist now. He's rejected his father's faith. And he wrote this uh, Recently on TikTok, there are people that follow him on TikTok, and he says, hey, what do you do in your life? You get to pick. You decide what matters. Lighten up. Get laid. Go bowling. Now, sorry for some of that language, but that is the attitude 
of what freedom is. You decide whatever you want to do. And therein lies freedom. Righteousness is freedom, not unrighteousness. Sheryl Crow sang it this way and soak up the sun. It's not having what you want, it's wanting what you've got. And freedom is not doing what we want, but wanting righteousness. It's wanting what gives us freedom. Being under grace is not opposed to following God's law, right? So we talk about under law and under grace. To be under grace isn't opposed to you doing God's law. There is in the passage here, Paul talks about lawlessness as being part of what it means to be under law as we commit lawlessness. As we're under grace, we actually do what the law says. We have the power to do that. Romans 3.31 says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. 1 John 3, 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So if you want to know what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, where he talks about sin, it's, it's law. It's understanding what the, the Bible says about what is right and wrong. And freedom is found in offering up your lives uh, moment by moment uh, to, to God in um, in obeying him, in obeying the law. You know, my daughter um, is a first grade school teacher, and, um, and she had this happen recently where one of the students in class, um, she had to have this little conversation now. Uh, why did you take that uh, item from your fellow student? Why did you steal it from him? And he said, well, because uh, I wanted it, and he wouldn't let me have it, so I took it. Um, well, that's freedom, doing what you want. That's not freedom, is it? That is not freedom. It's a compulsion to do evil and to do wrong, and there's death in that. It's not life. And so instead, freedom is found in offering up our lives moment by moment as an act of worship to God. Let's review a little bit from last week in verses 12 and 13. It says this, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not, let, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instrument, instruments for righteousness. There's a language of, of offering and worship, of going to the temple in that day and, and offering an offering to the Lord, that is, our, that is what our life is to be like, is through our, our members, through our body, through, the, through how we live every day and what we do every day. We offer that up to God um, as an act of worship to him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So offer up to God moment by moment the one who is most awesome the one who loves you, the one who has saved you, the one who has forgiven you, the one who has died for you, moment by moment, we get to live for his glory. I'm eating breakfast for the glory of God. I write my paper in English for the glory of God. I'm offering um, all of these things as an act of worship to God. I'm, 
I'm faithful to my spouse for the glory of God. Or if I go bowling, I go bowling for the glory of God. I offer that to the Lord. It's not just going through life with no meaning or purpose or going through life uh, as, as, uh, as me, myself, being the ultimate purpose. No, it is offering to God what I do every day. And so I want to be clear here. These verses are not talking about sinless perfection, right? You know, so if you're, if you're under grace, that means that, boy, you're, you know, you just have it together. You've got this inner compulsion for righteousness, and so that means that you're going to be totally 100% perfect. Keep in mind the context in which the Apostle Paul is speaking and the hypothetical question that he's raising. He's talking about uh, people, or he's at least raising this theoretical question, uh, do I sin that grace may abound? That was, that was last week and this week. Am I under grace? Does that mean I just continue to sin? And the answer is no. No, we don't, we don't pursue with reckless abandon sin anymore. It's illogical for us to do that because we now have a new heart. And we have a desire to serve him. We have a desire to glorify him. We have the ability, and that ability leads to more and more and more freedom as we become more and more and more like Jesus Christ in righteousness. So why would you do that? We do sin, and in this world we have the remnants of the sinful nature, and so we will do that. But keep in mind, this isn't talking about sinless perfection. What it is talking about is encouraging you to know that you are in one or two of those conditions, either one of those conditions, one or the other. You're either under sin or under righteousness, under grace, excuse me. And if you know Jesus Christ by faith, you are under grace and you have that encouragement uh, that what is going on in your life is uh, God is working in his power in this way, that you are free from sin, and you are compelled now to actually do righteousness. And so we, we go forward in freedom because we know that we're saved by grace through faith. And as we, as we're, as we fail, we know that our relationship with God, our status before God, is not based upon how we, how we perfectly live out our lives, but instead we live out our lives for him in the freedom, in the knowledge that we are secure in our relationship with him. And so in delight and in freedom, we move forward and we serve him. We are obedient to him. So we see that kind of language in verse 16. But thanks be to God, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. From the heart, you desire to be obedient and to serve uh, your Lord, your Savior, your God. And so how, do, how is it that we do that? We know he's revealed to us. I said it last week. What do you give the God who has everything? You know, you love him. You want to serve him. He's revealed in Scripture how we do that. Uh, just uh, this week, Susan came to me, my wife, and, um, and she, uh, she handed me a card that she had just bought at the store. It was a Mother's Day card um, in in. A little background, my wife's um, name with our grandchildren uh, is B. You know, that's her, that's her name, B. And so she, uh, she found this card, and it said something to the effect, uh, to the Queen B, Happy Mother's Day. And so she handed me the card, and she said, 
I realized you would never find such a perfect Mother's Day card for me. So here. <laughs> Pretty good deal, guy, huh? Guys, huh? I mean, so. That's exactly what God is doing here. Here you go. You want to know how to serve me? You want to know how to love me from the heart? I'm not only changing you internally, I'm giving you the ability to know how from the heart you can serve me. There's not really a question. You don't have to fish around from the heart. He goes on to say in Romans 5, 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We just touched on it at the very end of this passage. We're going to talk further about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and His relationship to this dynamic and how under grace we have the Spirit of God at work in us, enabling us uh, to be righteous and to live for Him. The opposite is true, too, for those who are under law. Verses uh, chapter 121 in the book of Romans, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Those under law have darkened hearts that don't understand. Romans one twenty four. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. You see, there's freedom in living your life in, as worship to God, moment by moment, from the heart, and there's slavery and death in living under the compulsion of sin, living under the law, because you aren't under grace. And so we, we, have, we think that somehow law, uh, that somehow that sin and being able to sin is freedom. Living selfishly in this life is not freedom. It's death. It breeds damaged relationships. It breeds hatred. It leads to wars. It leads to crime. And we know ultimately what it says in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. We know that literally there will be death as a consequence of sin. But even before we die, there's death in this world uh, in our slavery to sin. But you see, you belong to another You're no longer under the slavery of sin because you belong to another. The Bible says in Galatians 4, 4 and 5 that Jesus Christ was born under law. Did you know that? But when the fullness of time came and God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Remember last week we talked about the fact that We are united with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. I I think that is the most difficult thing that I've ever had to explain. I don't know. I don't know why. It's a sort of a mysterious subject, but people seem to be confused. So I'll I'll just try to say it very uh, as, as simply as I can. I don't know that that I'll say it any better. But when Christ died... If you have faith in him, you are united to him. You're united to him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And you receive all the benefits of what Christ has done and accomplished in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. And so one of the things 
that he did is he came under the law and he did, uh, we say being under the law means that you're um, compelled to sin, but not Jesus Christ. Why? Because his nature was different than ours. He, when he heard the law, responded 100% perfectly in love and obedience to his father. And so as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're united to him in his death, we're united with him in his burial, we're united with him in his resurrection, one of the benefits is that we receive uh, the forgiveness of sins. We receive a declaration of righteousness in God's sight. But we also uh, receive um, more and more this nature of Jesus Christ because he died, we died with him. And so there's a death that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about in his illustration from marriage. And he's sort of mixing metaphors here of who, who is it that died and, and whatnot, but you get the idea. And he basically says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. He's using the law and a specific law to talk about the fact that you are not uh, with your former husband now through death. You have been brought into a new relationship with a new husband. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Yet, literally, Christ's death through his body. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. When Christ died, you died with him. When Christ died, you then belonged to another husband. Uh, The one husband was dead. The other husband is here. We belong to Jesus Christ, it says here, the one who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while, while we were still living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive So we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It's wonderful to belong to Jesus and to be set truly free. So if you've not done it, place your faith in Jesus. That simply means that you acknowledge that you have been compelled to sin and you have sinned. And you're sorry for that. You want to turn to him in faith, ask for forgiveness of sins. And his death paid for the penalty of your sins before God. And that you trust in his goodness and his righteousness that you might be right in God's standing. And then you belong to somebody else. You belong to a different husband. You've been freed from the dominion of sin. And have freedom in worshiping Jesus. Moment by moment, every day. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is so easy for us to be discouraged as we uh, have perhaps a besetting sin or we, we look at the sin in our lives, we take seriously the sin in our lives, we can be discouraged. But understand this, that the overriding work of God in your life is for righteousness. You are under grace, not under law. 
And so you have the power, God gives you the power over time to live righteously before him. So believe it. Preacher Dwight L. Moody, a famous preacher, was in Ohio. He was invited to preach at a a state penitentiary. And there were uh, convicts that were brought into the chapel and sat in front of him. And the chaplain began to talk to him about something that had taken place um, earlier, an earlier event um, that had happened years ago. And he said, Mr. Moody, the chaplain said to him, Mr. Moody, I want to tell you of a scene which occurred in this room a few years ago. Our commissioners went to the governor of the state and got him to promise that he would pardon five men for good behavior. The governor consented with this understanding that the record was to be kept secret and that at the end of six months, the five men highest on the roll should receive a pardon, regardless of who or what they were. At the end of six months, the prisoners were all brought into the chapel. The commissioners came. The president of the commissioners stood on the platform and putting his hand on his pocket, brought out some papers and said, I hold in my hand pardons for five men. Moody goes on to say, the chaplain told me he never witnessed anything like it on earth. Every man was as still as death. Many were deadly pale. The suspense was awful. It seemed as if every heart had ceased to beat. And the commissioner then began to go on and explain how everything had happened. And the, uh, the chaplain said, cut to the chase and just get to who it is that's received the pardon. So he read out the first name. Reuben Johnson will come and get his pardon. And he held it out, but none came forward. He said to the warden, are all the prisoners here? The warden told him that they, they were all there. Then he said again, Reuben Johnson will come and get his pardon. It is signed and sealed by the governor. He is a free man. Nobody moved. The chaplain looked right down where Reuben was. He was well known. He had been 19 years there, and many were looking around to see him spring to his feet. But he himself was looking around to see the fortunate man who had got his pardon. Finally, the chaplain caught his eye and said, Reuben, you are the man. Reuben turned around and looked behind him again to see where Reuben was. The chaplain said the second time, Reuben, you are the man. And the second time he looked around thinking it must be some other Reuben. He had to say it three times, Reuben, come and get your pardon. At last, as the truth began to set in over the old man, he got up, came along down the hall, trembling from head to foot. And when he got his pardon, he looked at it and he went back to his seat. He buried his face in his hands and he wept. And then the prisoners got into their lines to go back to their cells Reuben got into a line too, and the chaplain had to call him back. Reuben, get out of the line. You are a free man. You no longer are a prisoner. And Reuben stepped out of the line. He was a free man. But oftentimes, we, like Reuben, have been told, you are free, you are free, you are free, and we just sit there. Instead of believing that we are free In Jesus Christ, we belong to him, and he has given us a a compulsion, a desire for righteousness. So him that says this, out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness and light, Jesus, I come to thee. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're united with him in his death 
And through his death and resurrection, you are alive and you are free, free to serve Jesus from the heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this truth that we are not under law, but we are under grace. That we are free to serve you, not just given the option, but you have worked in our hearts and worked in our lives that we from the heart might serve you. We pray, Father, more and more that we would believe that truth and that more and more your spirit would be at work in us, that we might day by day and moment by moment uh, live in honor and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.